Welcome to the podcast of Church on the Rock in New Albany, Indiana. We believe the message you're about to hear will encourage you today. I want to share some things with you out of John chapter 1, verse 1. And so we're going to start reading there in a moment. And if you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. We'll put it on the screen. But in John chapter 1 and verse 1, this is the way it starts. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made. Now, these verses are speaking of Jesus. Verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. And that was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, speaking of Jesus, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Come on, I need amen in the house. To those who believe in his name. In verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Verse 14, this is what we've been waiting to get to. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And this morning, if you're taking notes, the title of my message is God came down. God came down. Now, we're going to study out of the Gospel of John. And if you know anything about the Bible, there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And all the Gospels are written to different groups of people. If you're studying it and the, the stories sound like they're directed towards a different group of people, it's because they are. In the same way, if all four of us were at an event, we would all four describe it a different way. And so all the writers of the Gospels describe it a little bit differently. But the Gospel of John specifically... The Apostle John, we would know him to be later on in his life, the disciple whom Jesus loved, really the closest person to Jesus in his earthly ministry. The Gospel of John was written predominantly to the world, that the world would know that Jesus is not just another prophet, he's not just another teacher, he's not just one of many good philosophers he is God so the gospel of John is written like that is written to the world to people that are more intellectual people that are more uh, not necessarily from a religious background but he's written to the world trying to show them that Jesus is the son of God so let's read again in John 1 chapter 1 verse 1 I mean this is what it says, and we're going to go verse by verse, and we're going to go slow at first, so don't get bored with me, right? Yes. 
Because i got to teach you before I preach to you. Trust me, I'll be shouting before it's all over. But i got to teach you first. So John writing this gospel to the world to show that Jesus is the true Son of God. Notice what it says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now let's just stop right there. In the beginning was the Word. Now, anyone reading this in this time, in this day, would know the beginning of this because they would be very familiar with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. If you don't know what Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And so John is using Genesis chapter 1 1 specifically to show the people that he's talking to in John 1 1 that Jesus is this same God who was in the beginning in Genesis 1 1 who created everything. So he uses the same language. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, when we look at this word, Word, it doesn't mean what you think it means. The word, Word, is actually the word logos in the Greek. And the, the Bible, especially the New Testament, was written in Greek. And so, at the time that John wrote this, he uses this word, logos. Now, logos... In that time, in that day, was a word used by Greek philosophers. How many know that Greek philosophy is still being taught in our schools today? The philosophers they had back then are still being quoted. And your kids still have to read their books in college. And these Greek philosophers would use this word logos. Now, this is what logos meant when he says, in the beginning was the word of the logos. Greek philosophers meant it this way. It was this divine reason or force that brought everything we know into existence, that, that it brought everything in the universe together, all matter, all thought, all intellect, but they referred to it as an abstract impersonal force. So it was just some force that created everything, but it wasn't actually a God that you could know and have a relationship with. But they b did believe that there was a creator of all things, but he could not be known. Because he wasn't a person. It was just a force. Now, I know what that sounds like because the modern day New Age people still talk like this. You probably have heard it and seen people talk like this all the time. In 2022, we don't say Logos, we say universe. You heard people saying that lately? It's a very new age idea. It's like, if you had a good day, you're like, the universe must have brought the sunshine into my life. Or if you find somebody and you fell in love, the universe brought them my way. Or, or if you get the new job, man, the universe must be smiling at me. But it's not an actual person. It's just, it's this impersonal force that you think is controlling everything and bringing everything into existence. So it's the same idea. So Greek philosophers thousands of years ago said logos. We just say universe. It's not some being or God you can know. It's just the universe. The universe. Now, it's funny because people still use that same language. But you need to know that John writes here that this logos, 
this universe who created everything is not a just force or feeling. He's not goosebumps on a sunshiny day. He's not a raise. He's not a new house or a new car. That this logos, this thing that created everything, every bit of reason and matter and thought and intellect is a real person. And he is the creator of all things. And he is God. And more specifically in the gospel of John, God is not just some person in the sky that you can't know. He came down to earth so you could know him and know him by name. He's not just God. It's not just the universe. Because you say God, there's hundreds of religions. Who are we talking about here? If we were talking in India today to a Hindu culture, there's hundreds of millions of gods. So who are we talking about here? And John says, listen, in the beginning, before everything started, was the word, was this divine being, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And more specifically, he's speaking about Jesus. So let's go a little bit further. Are you still with me? Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, all things were made through him, everything, and without him nothing was made that was made. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of man. Verse 5, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, let's stop right here. Now, if, if you know anything about your Bible, God always reveals himself as light. There's, there's several things that God always says he is. He's always light. He's always love. And he's always life. And, and he's taking you back once again to Genesis 1.1. The first thing that God created was light. Now, now light means many things, but... It means purity, it means power, it means strength, it means goodness. That God is always light. But this is interesting, and I read this earlier this week. It says that Christmas invites us into an expectation and a holy waiting. But what are we waiting on? We're waiting on light, God's light. Isaiah announces that a great light is coming. And the Gospels announce that a great light is here. But it's making its way through a child, the Messiah. This light is not to be found in some new political power. I told you I'm going to say it every service till the next election. Not Biden or Trump. They're both wrong. I got it in. One more service. Okay, we got a lot to go before next election. But I'm going to keep saying it. Notice, why? No, hold on, I gotta say it. I know it's Christmas. Why are you so depressed and freaking out about the election? Because your light and hope is in a political candidate. You're not right. 
You will be disappointed every time. I don't care who gets in office. Unless their name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, you will be ticked off and let down. All right, I'm going back. I'm going back. We got guests. We got to behave ourselves today. All right. If you really want to know what I think, come on a non-holiday service. Hear me this morning, light is not found in a new political power or in a cultural movement. It's not located in a particular ideology, but rather it's found through the living God in flesh. Christmas reminds us that no matter how dark it gets, the light has come and the light is coming. So be of good cheer. The darkness you feel today will not have the last word. And that's what the Christmas message is all about. And notice it says, there's going to be a light, which is Jesus, that shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. I'm feeling good so far about this message. Verse 6, let's go here. And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, John was Jesus' cousin, but he was sent ahead of Jesus to proclaim he was coming. Notice in verse 7. And this man came for a witness. If you know anything about John the Baptist, he came before Jesus. He was born before Jesus. And he said, there's one coming who's going to be the Messiah. And notice he, he, he bore witness of the light that all through him might believe. Verse 8. He was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. Now, this is a reminder for all of us in here. You're not God. <laughs> just, just in case you're worried about that or you were, didn't know if you were or not. You're not. You're not God. I'm not God. Your hope should not be in another person. Hey, for those of you who go to this church, your hope should not be in me. I'm not the light. I'm not the hope. I'm not the way, the truth, and the life. No. I'm pointing to him. And really, all true followers of Jesus should be just like John. We are not it, but I'll show you who is it. I'm not the way, but he is the way. I'm not the life, he is the life. I'm not the healer, he is the healer. I'm not the deliverer, he is the deliverer. Don't look at me, look at him. I'm pointing to the one who has the light. And if there's anything good in my life that you see that you like, it's not because of me. It's because of the God in me, the light that he's given me, the life he's given me, the love he's given me. It's not me. And so we need to be like John the Baptist. We're pointing people to that light. So verse 9, that was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Verse 10, he was in the world, that's Jesus, speaking of Jesus, and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. Verse 11, he came into his own and his own did not receive him. Because if, if you study about Jesus' life, when Jesus came, a lot of the people that should have got it, that he was Jesus, that he was the Messiah, that he was God, didn't get it. And so he was rejected by his own family, his own people. So that's what it's referring to here. He came to his own, his own did not receive him. But notice verse 12. This is the good news for all of us in here. 
But as many, that's me, I'm a many. As received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. Now we're going to stay there for a second. And once again, I got to go slow before we can go fast. He gave the right to become the children of God. Now, once again, he's pointing us back to what happened in the beginning. In Genesis. Now, why did God have to come down? Why did he have to come down? Did Did he just come just for fun? Just to show off? No. God had to come down because the Bible says in Genesis It says that God created man. He created Adam and Eve in his likeness, in his image, and he had a relationship with them. He created them for a relationship. He created them to have a family. He created them to have fellowship together. And that his children would rule and reign on this earth. But then there's something that happened. There's sin. And when sin happened... That relationship was severed because sin separates us. The relationship was done. It was severed. It was finished. And man's fall needed something to happen for man to be restored. Now, the thing is, if if a man got us in this thing, right? Adam and Eve got us in this. God couldn't just, because of the way he set it up, legally just come, just start over again. So God decided a man got us in this mess, so a man's going to have to get us out of this mess. The only problem is man are sinful. (laughs) Men do wrong. So a man can't pay for the sins of other men when he's got his own sin. And so what happens is that God, knowing that, he foreknew that in his foreknowledge, he decided that a man is not going to be able to do it because he's sinful. I'm going to need to sin myself and to become a man who's perfect and sinless so that I can legally pay for the price of sin to restore man's relationship with God, to break the chains of sin, of Satan, of darkness over their life. It was prophesied even in chapter 3 of Genesis, God says right after Adam and Eve sinned, I'm going to send someone and he's going to come and he's going to bruise your head, talking to the serpent or Satan. Now, he, he's not saying, I'm just going to punch you out. That term in the Hebrew means, I'm going to take back your authority, your dominion, your lordship over man. So already after Adam and Eve had sinned, God already had a plan. He already had foreknowledge that I'm going to send one in the future to save man. But it couldn't just be any man. It had to be a perfect man. It had to be a God man. That's why God had to become a man. I love this quote. Speaking of what we just read about us becoming children of God. It says this. The son of God 
became the son of man so the sons of men could become the sons of God. That's why God had to come down to restore our relationship, to restore us back into his family. Now, let's read a few more verses into this this morning. Verse 13. Notice, when you're born in this way, you're born of God. You're not born of blood or flesh or the will of man, but of God. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And once again, he's using that word, logos. And this divine reason, power, whatever you want to call it, Greek philosophers, this one who brought everything into being, he's not just this impersonal force. He is God. And that God became flesh. He became a man. He put skin and bones on and he became a person. That God came down for us, and, and that God became flesh. Now, this word used, many of you know it, it's called the incarnation. Or if you like Nacho Libre, Encarnacion. <laughs> Whatever floats your boat. We've got some people who watch Jack Black. We've got some people who read their Bible. I are on the side of watching Jack Black. So... The incarnation, and what the incarnation means, it literally means in flesh. That God came in flesh. The incarnation, and that's what this word says. The word became flesh. I love this. It says the miracle of the incarnation is that one person became everything we are without ceasing to be everything he is. Jesus is fully God but yet he's fully a man. In God sending his son to earth, God caused eternity to invade time. This was not a temporary visit. When Jesus came, he put together dust and deity, time and eternity into one. The eternal word was made human flesh, and that union will last forever. You got to think about this. Today in heaven, Jesus is still a man. Fully God, fully man. Jesus is God in the flesh. I love it, what it says in the Passion Translation of this verse. And then I'm going to read the message. So the living expression became a man and lived among us. And we gazed upon him in the splendor of his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, overflowing with tender mercy and truth. Let's read it in the message. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Just in case you didn't get it. This is the way I talk. We saw the glory with our own eyes, one of a kind glory, like father, like son. Generous inside and out, true from start to finish. So I want to share three things with you as we close. You're saying, aren't you done? No, I'm not done. 
That was my intro. That was my intro on a bad day. <laughs> Usually we'd be halfway through the intro at this point. I, I finished it early so you could eat your candy and hot chocolate. I'm going to share f- three things with you the rest of the service on why God came down. You guys still here? God came down because he cares. God came down because he cares. You realize that religion is man's attempts to get to God. But Christmas in the Christian faith is God's coming to man. It's a big difference. Every world religion is do this, do this, do that. And you might make it. There's no even guarantee at that. You might get to God. You might be evolved. You might experience nirvana or Buddha or whatever other religion you want to go with. Live a good life. Give some money. But religion is man's attempts to get to God. If you could get to God, God wouldn't have had to come to you. Come on now, somebody. (laughs) The whole message of the Bible is God came to us because we couldn't get to him. No amount of religion, no amount of good works, bad works, or anything else, you could not get to God. Why are religious people so uptight? Because they're always trying to make it. They're always trying to make God happy. They're always trying to get to God. They're always trying to reach a certain place. And they never will. That's why they're always irritated. And they're irritated at you too, right? They're grumpy. They're no fun to be around. Why? Because they're never getting to where they need to get to. And they never will. Because that's religion. But the Christian faith and the Christmas message is you couldn't do it, so God came down to you. God left heaven and became a man and became flesh and moved into our neighborhood to deal with our issues, not from a distance, but in person because he cares. The fact that God came down shows us that he cares. You can never say the rest of your life that God does not care. No, that's not true. If God never did anything for you the rest of your life, he did this, and this shows he cares. Now, I believe in a God that's active in my everyday life, not just 2,000 years ago, but still, if that's all he did, he cares. God came down because he cares. Now, God is not an absentee father. God is not a deadbeat God on the other side of the universe just watching our earth struggle. I don't care. No. God came down because he cares. And a lot of people believe in this idea of God. Even if they believe in God, they believe, well, he just kind of slung us into existence and the universe, the planets and everything. But he's on the other side of the universe. He doesn't care about us. We can't ever have a relationship with him. He doesn't care about our everyday life. He didn't do anything for us. He just created us and he said, forget about it. But notice the Christmas story is that, no, God cares. 
And God showed that by him coming down. God came down, and that shows he cares. On our darkest days, on our worst days, because Jesus came, he cares. Now, why does he care? He cares because he loves us. God loves you. And you're thinking, well, how can you say that God cares about us? And look at this planet right now. (laughs) COVID. Racial tensions. Constant fighting on Facebook. Financial crisis, people losing jobs. Why does he care? That's not God's doing that. That's man doing that. Get your mind right, y'all. That's our fault. That's the devil's fault. That's not God's fault that the world is the way it is. He's trying to help us, but all of us are not listening. That's why we're in the shape we're in on this planet. Let's get your theology right. Trust me, if, if all these billions of people on this planet that are complaining turn their face to God and not each other, and not complaining about everything else, and, and, and we're on their knees and praying to a God who cares, things would change tomorrow. <laughs> it's not his fault. Don't ever let your experience change your theology about God. I don't care what happens to you. God is still good. God still loves you. God cares more than anyone, even in the worst, most hard days of your life. Don't ever forget that. And God's trying to help you because he cares. But God came down because he cares, and he cares because he loves us. And the Bible says that God loved the world that he gave his son. He loves us. And this love is not I love a cheeseburger love, because you know I do. It's, it's not I, I just love somebody else I thinks attractive. It's not just I love my house or I love my kids or I love the beach. No, this kind of love is the God kind of love. And God kind of love is a love that's always giving, never selfish, constantly looking out for the best interest of the other person, not themselves. It's a selfless sacrificial love that this world knows nothing about. And that's the kind of love that God cares about you with, is that kind of love. And he demonstrated that by him coming down. That's sacrificial, unselfish love. So God came down because he cares. Next thing I want to talk about is God came down to be with us. He came down to be with us. At the beginning of Matthew 1, the story of the Christmas story, it says that it's quoting from the Old Testament in Isaiah, but it's talking prophetically about Jesus. And it says, there's going to be one, and I'm going to send this Messiah, and you're going to call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
God with us. God came down to be with us. Now, the truth of the Bible is this. God doesn't need us, but he wants us. <laughs> That's even better. Some people you need to be around. We're going into holidays. Say, say amen. <laughs> and some people you want to be around. That's the thing with God. God doesn't need you because he's God. He's self-sufficient. But he wants you and he wants to be with you. And they call Jesus' name Emmanuel, which is God with us. God came down to be with us. The whole story of the Bible is God getting his family back to be with us. The whole story of redemption, which redemption is a biblical word. It means to buy back, to rescue. That God, his plan was to redeem us and to get his family back from sin, from Satan, from the powers of darkness. He brought us back to be with us. That was the whole purpose of it, to get his family back to be together. That we would no longer be children of darkness, but we would be children of light. We wouldn't be children of the enemy. We would be children of God again. That's why he came to be with us. Even in the Old Testament, God desired to be amongst his people even though they were sinful. It's interesting to note that God's presence was actually housed in a temple and a tabernacle in the Old Testament. That was God's presence. But they always put the temple and the tabernacle in the middle of God's people. Not on the outskirts, but in the middle. Why? Because God wants to be with us. God don't want to be away from us. He wants to be with us. But God has been fully able to do that by sending his son Jesus. Now there's no more separation between us. By Jesus' life and death and resurrection, we have been made right with God. And the Bible says that when we are made right with God, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, comes to live on the inside of us and make us new. And that Spirit lives and abides with us forever. God came down to be with us. And now all of us who have received the gift of Jesus, the Spirit of God now dwells in us, and the Spirit of God is with us forever. So I don't got to go to church to talk to God. He's right here with me. He's with me. <laughs> I don't got to drive somewhere special to a temple and make a sacrifice. No, the Spirit of God's in me, and he's with me. God came down so God could be with me 24-7. At my house, in my car, at the grocery store, at the gym, wherever I am, the Spirit of God would be dwelling in me. But God had to come down and make things right so he could be with us. God wants to be with us. Now, if a really important person wanted to be with you, you would think it was an honor. Right? Celebrity. President. 
wealthy person, you would think it would be an honor. How much more God? (laughs) God wants to be with us all the time. God came down so he could be with us all the time. And his spirit would live and abide with us forever. So you're never alone anymore. That's why God came down. To be with us. Emmanuel, which is God with us. You guys getting something this morning? So God came down because he cares. But God came down to be with us. The last thing I want to share is God came down because he's for us. Brother Daryl, could you come play for a minute? We'll close today. God came down because God is for us. Now, I know some of you in here probably believe the first half of this message, but this one kind of messes with people. (laughs) Yeah, I know he cares because he's got to care. And he kind of wants to be with me, but he's definitely not for me. That's a big step. But God came down not just to show you he cares. He does. God came down to show you he wants to be with you. But God came down because he's for you. Not for religious people, people that came from the right family, people that are perfect. No, God came down for you. With your life, with your mess, with your attitude, with your background, came for you. Because he cares, he wants to be with you, but he's for you. Well, don't feel like God's for me. Maybe because you've never been taught this, that God's for you. Many people have a misunderstanding about God. They don't realize how much he cares. They don't realize how much he loves them, and he's for them. Now, I think that most people, once you have a child, you start understanding the love of God to a level. I understand this. I have a nine-year-old daughter, Natalie, which I had to run to the house twice today, this morning, to change her outfit because I love her and I'm for her. And I was reminding everyone, anyone remember that I'm the one preaching this morning? (laughs) I'm running across town changing outfits so everything is perfect (laughs) for a couple minute song it was a great song but still does anyone remember (laughs) that I'm preaching this morning (laughs) in a Christmas service you know you can't blow it on a Christmas service blow it on a Father's Day service but not on a Christmas service (laughs) I'm joking But there's nothing Natalie can do that will make me not love her. There's nothing she can do that would make me not like her. There's nothing Natalie could do that I wouldn't be for her. Even if I didn't agree with her, I would still be for her. And you know what? God doesn't agree with some of the things in our lives. But he still loves you 
and he still likes you and he came down to show you he's still for you. And even the things he disagrees with in your life, it's not because he's after you. It's because he knows those things will hurt you. And he's for you. And he's trying to say, please don't do that. Because I'm for you and I want a better life. But you keep making the same wrong decisions. And you're hurting yourself. Because many people, especially in this culture, feel like if you disagree with somebody, that means you hate them. Or you're not for them. That's not what it means. God disagrees with a lot of the things we do. Why? Because he's God and he knows better. And he loves us. And he's looking out for us. But don't ever think that means even if you get corrected by him, that he's not for you. If he wasn't for you, he wouldn't tell you. (laughs) He wouldn't even bring it up. God's for you. Now, I see this all throughout the Bible, but especially the birth of Jesus. It shows that God is for us, and not just a small group of people, but for everyone. In the beginning of Matthew, in the story of Christmas, it gives the genealogy of Jesus, or Jesus' family, his earthly family. Now, it's funny to me that it's like, you know how in Ecclesiastes where it says there's nothing new under the sun? And like life's like one big circle. It always comes back around. We're talking thousands of years ago, people were into genealogies. Ancestry.com is literally one of the most popular websites and things to do for people because people want to know their genealogy. Nothing new under the sun. It comes back around. This was pre-internet, Ancestry.com. In the Bible days, genealogy was everything. And they wrote down where you came from. And your dad, and your dad's dad, and your dad's dad's dad. And for generations and generations, because where you came from told who you were. It either gave you favor or influence or it brought you to a certain place in life where maybe you didn't have much because your genealogy. And the birth of Jesus in Matthew gives Jesus ancestry.com. And it lists all these people we know of. And, and how can there be actual, real teaching that comes out of names in the Bible. It can. Every word of God has power in it. Even the ones you fully don't understand. But if you read the genealogy of Jesus, you see people like Abraham and David and many other heroes of the faith. But when we look a little closer, we call them heroes of the faith, but they were imperfect people. If we named all those people by their sin, it wouldn't be like David, Abraham. It would be liar, cheater, adulterer, murderer. That was Jesus' family line. You think you come from a dysfunctional family. No. Jesus in his family line are heroes of the faith. But people that were imperfect and broken and hurting, 
And by his genealogy, he shows us that he is for us. And for everyone, no matter your background, your history doesn't have to be your future. Your past does not have to be your destiny. Just because you made mistakes doesn't mean that he's not for you anymore. So his genealogy shows that he's for us. Because he left people in there where they were liars, cheaters, adulterers, murderers, and many more things. But they're forever in the family of Jesus. It's interesting to note as well that in that time, women were never included in genealogies. But how many know something that Jesus is for women? (laughs) He's into empowering women. He believes in women. And there's actually five names of women in Jesus' genealogy. Now, any man in that time and day reading that would be like, why did you put her in there? But because of Jesus' genealogy, it shows that he's not just for men. He's for women. And he's for men that are imperfect and broken that have a past, but also women who have a past as well. If you dive into these women in the story of Jesus, there's listed Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. A couple of those women were prostitutes, but made it in Jesus' family. One was widowed. One he committed, David committed adultery with. Mary was a young girl from a no-name town who in that culture in that day, no one would think twice about a little teenage girl named Mary. But she made it in too. Jesus' genealogy is not just names. He's trying to tell us something. That God cares, that God wants to be with us, but God is for us. And not just for a certain type of person. Dysfunctional people, broken people, sexually hurting people, lonely people, left out people. That he is for men and women, no matter their past, no matter their imperfectness, God invites them into his family. If I was Jesus, I would leave out some names. (laughs) Don't you agree? When you bring up your family history, you don't, you never list your uncle who's a drunk. You never bring him into the conversation. Who? I've never met that guy. If your great grandpa was a murderer, he doesn't come up in conversations, does he? No. Because you're ashamed of that. If I was Jesus, I would say, y'all leave some people out of this. My family looks messy, broken, imperfect, like the human family. It's all of us. We're all in this family. And it's a messy, imperfect, broken family apart from God. That's the results we all get in our life without God. 
sin, hurt, trauma, shame, abuse, brokenness, and we can never make our way. But God wants to tell us he's for us by showing us in his genealogy he's for all of us. No matter our past, no matter our sin, you guys still here? I just have a few more things. He's equally for the sinner and the self-righteous. You know, they're both sinners. <laughs> Self-righteous are sinners that are in church. <laughs> and sinners are just sinners that are outside of church. <laughs> Same thing. Like the prodigal son, one was lost in the house, one was lost outside the house. They were both equally lost. They both equally needed their dad to save them. Same thing. But good for us, God came for both. <laughs> no matter where we fall. I just have a few more things to share. We're still talking about God came because he's for you. Trust me, your hot chocolate will still be good. <laughs> but in Luke's gospel, it lists another group of people to show us who God's for. Because he put them in the story. When, when Jesus was born, there was kings and wise men searching for him. Kings and wise men. We could say, the wealthy, the influential, the intellectuals of that day came for Jesus because Jesus was for them. Now, these wise men specifically, there was three of them. We don't know a lot about them, but we know they were very smart. They had a lot of money and that came from the east. These wise men came to Jesus and really they would be the Elon Musk or the Bill Gates of that day with their wealth and their intellect. And Jesus shows us he's for people that have great wealth and great intellect and great influence. The smartest people are people that know that there is a God. The beginning of wisdom is the knowledge of God. So we see, though, that Jesus came for the people in high society, the kings, the wise, the influential, the wealthy. But we also see another group of people in the beginning of Luke, the shepherds. Now, the shepherds were the blue collar of that day. They were the construction workers. They were the plumbers. They were the truck drivers. And the shepherds came looking for Jesus. They were hardworking. Most shepherds in that day were looked down upon because they weren't wealthy. They didn't have much. But notice there's shepherds that show up looking for Jesus. And there's men of great wealth and intellect looking for Jesus. 
There's rich and there's poor. There's educated and uneducated. There's blue collar and white collar. Both groups of people, Jesus was for. And that's why they're in the story. So no matter where you're at today, guess what? Jesus is for you. And he came for you. I don't care if you have a lot of money or no money. I don't care if you're educated or not educated. I don't care if you're a man or a woman. I don't care if you have a broken past or a broken family. It doesn't matter the sin or the self-righteousness. God came down because he's for us. And just in the story of Jesus, in his genealogy, and the men and women that came searching for him shows us God's for us. And not just for us, in these four walls, for all of us. God came for all of us. And he is for us. I got one last verse. You guys get something today. Romans 8. In verse 31, it says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, then who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand. Notice, pleading for us. I love this part. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Doesn't mean he no longer loves us if we face trouble or calamity, we're persecuted or hungry, destitute or in danger or threatened with death. As the scripture says, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered as sheep. Now, notice he's talking to a Roman church that they're facing real persecution, not Facebook persecution. We're talking early Christians in Rome were being thrown in prison were being burned at a stake were being thrown into a coliseum where live animals could eat them but he's saying here if God is for us then who can be against us and what's going to separate us from the love of God now let's continue here this is so good no despite in all these things overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us and I'm convinced come on now I need your help church family that nothing can ever separate us from God's love neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that's revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
God came down because he's for us. He's for you. God came down because he cares. God came down to be with us. But God came down because he's for us. And here's the good news about that. If he's for us, if God Almighty is for us, then who can be against us? Then what can overcome us? Then what can overtake us? Because nothing can separate us from God's love. Even in death, we still win because we are never separated from God's love. But that couldn't happen unless God came down. He's for us today. Could everyone close their eyes for a second? Actually, let's just stand up today. Thank you for being here this morning. Thank you so much for listening today. For more information about what's happening at Church on the Rock, visit cotrin.org.